Good stuff. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Megan. Good job, as always. You know, we've been talking about this Life of David thing, and uh, we've been working through this whole process with, you know, God's favor leaving Saul and going to David. And I've been trying, I've been really struggling to figure out a good illustration for modern day. And I'm struggling here. Oh, I got it. For example, college football. Just say. It's kind of like how God's favor left the Gators and Alabama and went to the Seminoles. It's, I'm just saying, it's kind of like how God works. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? Isn't that... What a great day of football yesterday, wasn't it? Oh. Did anybody see that kick return? I'm just going to ask. I know some of you aren't football fans. Did you see that? Crazy. Crazy. All right. Um, back to real scripture. Uh, we've been going through this process, and, and we understand that David's situation with Saul is kind of tenuous, and we talked about the Word of God last week and tassels on the heart, and we discussed that, and, and all that's really good. But today we're going to start getting a little bit encouraged in this respect. We're going to see today, a beginning to see a glimpse of how David is a lot like us. How David is a flawed man. How David is a man whose spirituality, in reality, even though he's called a man after God's own heart, his spirituality, guys, is actually quite attainable. <laughs> we're not that far removed from being the kind of guy that David was. And in 1 Samuel 25, we see this story, and I'm not going to read the whole passage because it's 44 verses. It's a long passage. So I'm going to kind of break it down for you just a little bit. But what's interesting is, I was going through some commentaries, and I'm going to read to you a commentary from this guy called, uh, it's a commentary written by three guys, Jamie Fawcett and Brown. And I'm going to read to you what they said about what happens. Try to follow it. And it's kind of written in kind of older English, so try to follow it, but it's very interesting. <clears throat> Nabal's answer seems to indicate that the country was at a time in loose and disorderly state, which we can understand, right? Because Saul has lost his mind, right? So the country's kind of a mess. David's own good conduct, which we'll discuss in a little bit later, however, as well as the important services he rendered to him by his men, were readily attested to Nabal by his servants. The preparations of David to chastise the insolent language and ungrateful response by Nabal are exactly what would be done in present day by many of us. But for some reason, David leaves his godliness and he becomes arrogant. And when the gift that he asked for from Nabal is withheld, he decides to take matters into his own hand. So what's the story? What's he talking about? Here's what's interesting about this story. Here's a picture that I have up here. The, the lady who's kneeling down and bringing all those gifts is Abigail, Nabal's wife. Now, Nabal was a rich man. He had a lot of cattle all around Israel. And the situation is this. The country is in disarray. 
Saul has lost his mind. He's not managing things very well. And so what begins to happen is crime begins to go on the rise. People are saying, hey, it's kind of lawless out here. And people are looting. People are stealing cattle. People are doing all that kind of stuff. And Nabal's servants are in the field watching Nabal's cattle, his sheep and everything. And David's men, remember, he has about 600 men now. Most of them are disillusioned, disenfranchised, disaffected people. And they decide, you know what, we're going to protect Nabal, his shepherds, and his flock from these bands of raiders that are going all over the place. The Philistines are getting bold. The other uh, foreigners are getting bold coming in. There's people in Israel that are getting bold, and they're doing all these things to the Israeli people because Saul is a terrible leader at this point. And so David's men protect Nabal's Nabal's shepherds and his sheep. And so David says, you know, and it's pretty a common practice at the time. The custom was normal. David says, go to Nabal, bring some of his servants so they can testify, and tell him we need some supplies. So that's where we are right now. David's men protect Nabal's shepherds. And David says, hey, we're in the woods, we're in the wilderness here. We need some supplies. We've done a good deed. Surely he'll respond back with a good deed. But Nabal rebuffs David in a very rude manner. Even though the servants of Nabal said, no, no, he did a good job. And David is ticked. He plans, here's his plan, to go to destroy Nabal's whole house. Every man, every sheep, every cattle. He's going to go down with his 600-man army and just annihilate Nabal. That's his plan. Does it sound like a man after God's own heart to you? You're not going to give me some water? Well, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to read you from another commentary that I often use, written by a guy named John Gill. Listen to what he says. In this, he used to be dumb in death when he was reproached, In other words, he would take it. Who but the other day spared the life of Saul who sought to kill him. And yet now will not spare anything that belongs to him who has put an affront to him and his messengers. He who at other times used to be calm and considerate is now put in such a heat by a few harsh words that nothing will atone for these words but the blood of a whole family. Lord, what is man? What are the best of men when God leaves them to themselves to to try them, that they may know what is in their hearts? From Saul, David expected injuries. And against those, he was prepared, and he stood upon his guard, but he kept his temper. But from Nabal, he expected kindness. And therefore, the affront was a surprise to David. And it caught him off guard and by a sudden and unexpected attack put for him the present into disorder. What need we have to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. And what John Gill describes is this. Just the last chapter, David had a chance to kill the guy who's trying to murder him and David was gracious. He felt guilty about what? Just cutting off the corner of his garment. That's all. And now, some guy says, no, I'm not going to give you any supplies. 
And to that, David responds with, okay, I'm going to destroy you and your whole family. You see the, the imbalance here? It's almost as if David's behavior becomes just as imbalanced as Saul's to some degree, is it not? So what happens is Abigail hears of Nabal's behavior. She hears that Nabal has denied David of these supplies, even after David was kind and protected his sheep and all that stuff. And basically, Nabal says, look, I've got a lot going on in my own life. Why do I got to give this guy anything that belongs to me? And Abigail hears that David is going to destroy the whole family. So she hurries together a dispatch of servants and people and says, gather all these things. Gather some fruit, gather some nuts, gather some dates, gather some meat, gather some water, all these things, and some gold and some silver and some money. Get it all together. We are going to go and head David off before he comes and destroys my husband's whole house. David heeds her counsel. This king of Israel to be, this man of God, who's angry, he wants to kill everybody in his sight at Nabal's house. Abigail comes and says, listen, my Lord, please, don't destroy my my, my husband because he's stupid. I'm not kidding, that's what she says. Verse 32, I'm going to read this. (laughs) It's really funny. Well, I'm not going to read that part, but I'll read what David says. Well, because, you know, not all husbands are stupid. But look what David says to Abigail after she says, look, my husband is an idiot. He acted like a fool. He should have given you what you asked for. Please, David, spare his house. Here's all the things you asked for and more. Here's what David says. And David says to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed you are for your discretion. And blessed you are, for you have kept me this day from guilt, from blood guilt, and from working or trying to work salvation in my own hands. For as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried to come to meet me, truly by morning there there would not have been one person left to Nabal, not even one single male. And David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. Then Abigail goes home. She goes to her husband. Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house and like the feast of a king. So it was, you know, he's rich. And Nabal's heart was very merry within him, for he was very drunk. See, I told you he was stupid. So she told him nothing at all, because he was not sober, until the morning when he would slept it off. And in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him all that happened, about how he was getting ready to be killed and about how he was rude to David, who David really is. And his heart died within him. You ever have that feeling in your life where you realize... Oh, no. I just made a terrible mistake. Oh, no. The cost of what I just did is overwhelming. 
That's where Nabal is now. And he became as a stone, the scripture says. He could not move. He was shocked. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal down and he died. <laughs> Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to end there. <laughs> There's more, more to the story. But that is kind of a bad ending for Nabal, is it not? But look what David does. This is, this is where David is set apart from Saul. Now understand, David is the same kind of person as Saul. He's tempted. He can easily be led astray. David was ready to wring salvation around his hands and make it his own. He was going to go and have vengeance upon Nabal. But heretofore, every time David was in that position, what did he do? God, what should I do? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go down and help this city and save them for the Philistines? Do you want me to stay here? Do you want me to go to the wilderness? What do you want me to do? This is the first time that we've seen David decide to take matters into his own hands. And then a woman comes. Now, this is not insignificant in this culture. A woman comes and teaches David a valuable lesson. Now, she does it with grace and dignity and meekness. And a ton of wisdom. A ton of wisdom. And David humbles himself before this woman who he doesn't even know. And says, God used you to protect me. Look what he says in verse 39. When David heard that Nabal had died, he said, blessed is the Lord who has avenged the insult that I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant himself from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal to his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us up to take you and to bring him as your wife, as his wife. And she arose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is your servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. You know what that really means? Translation, all I have is yours. That's what that really means. It's not just she's going to wash the feet. It means everything I have is yours. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey and her five young women attended her and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David recognizes the hand of God here and he praises God for it and basically says, God used you to protect me from my own reproach. My own sinfulness was about to overwhelm and overcome me to such a degree that I probably could have been disqualified for being king. Why? Because it would have been murder. Remember the overarching theme of this whole study? Satan hates David and wants to disqualify him. Or kill him. So when David accepts Abigail into his house, what's amazing is this. All the things, David just asked for a little bit, right? And he didn't get a little bit, so he's going to kill Nabal. Then God uses Abigail to intervene, convinces David he's wrong, he's unwise, he's got to stop and take these gifts, please, and stop. And then God kills Nabal. And David says, I'm very impressed with Abigail. I'm going to make her my wife, bring her into my house. And she says, all I have is yours. Not only does David not have to murder Nabal, 
he gets all of his stuff. You guys understand that? He gets, uh, he gets his wife. He gets his kids. He gets his house. He gets his cattle. He gets his gold. He gets his silver. He could even have his clothes if they fit. He gets it all. Boy, God's salvation is amazing, isn't it? Which would have been better? Slaughtering everybody or getting all their stuff without any bloodshed? See, initially, David made it about him and not about God. And when Abigail humbly accepted his invitation, what it caused was that David was blessed more than he could have ever realized. As a matter of fact, had he taken his actions, he would have been cursed, just like Saul. Why did Saul lose the favor of God? Because he was disobedient to God. David would have been disobedient to God, except God intervened. And so, understand there's some verses about vengeance that probably came to David's mind when all this happened. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, their foot shall slip in due time. It was only ten days. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. In Romans, Paul talks about this. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Hebrews 10.30, another New Testament reference. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. When Abigail came and brought all that stuff and said, please don't destroy my husband's house, I know that Deuteronomy came across David's head. He still had his tassels. Remember what the tassels were for, you guys? Remembering God's word? Oh, my word. I almost took vengeance into my own hands. What was I thinking? I was a, a whisker away from becoming just like Saul. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I got so worked up. I lost my mind for a minute. And God sends you, Abigail, to remind me and to keep me safe from my own reproach. Wow. Can you imagine how much deeper God's relationship goes with David at this point? Look at this. This is, this is, I have two journal entries I'm going to share with you today. This is one of them. I wrote this when I was studying this passage in 99. An amazing display of God's grace upon his chosen. David left to his own heart would have destroyed Nabal's house and avenged himself by his own hand, thus displaying a disdain for the faith in God that so far had protected him from Saul. We saw how David's fear caused him to act faithlessly before, but now we see how David's anger caused him to act faithlessly. At this time, he behaves like Saul. David here needed to look at his tassels. Both times, the grace of God intervened. In the end, David got everything. Because of his marriage to Nabal's widow, David not only gets the compensation he asked for, but he gets his entire estate, his wife, everything, and Satan's got to be ticked. I mean, let's just review kind of a little bit of an inventory of all that Satan has done to try to destroy David. First of all, bears and lions. Remember that? Sitting in the field watching the shepherds or watching the sheep, bears, lions, he kills them. <sighs> Stupid animals. All right, we'll try something else. I'm going to put taller, older brothers in front of him so that they'll be picked for king instead of David. 
Remember that? And God had a pretty good eye. Remember that? Nope, that didn't work. Darn it. Okay, I'm going to try Goliath. He's big, he's strong, he's smelly, he's got a big spear. Certainly David can't kill him. A slingshot. Done. David has killed ten thousands. Philistines run like crazy, right? Goliath can't do it? Okay, let's try something. Let's try Saul. Let's get Saul to be totally whacked out and jealous. And he's going to use his army. He's going to... Dang, not even... David could have killed Saul. I mean, if Saul can't kill David, at least David will kill Saul. And then surely he won't be able to be king. So I've got him. This is like a three-pronged attack here on David with Saul. That didn't work either? Oh, man, let's try something else. Let's try Doeg. Remember Doeg who kind of betrayed David? And that worked to kill all the priests. But it didn't work on David. So let's try some more Philistine action. Let's bring the Philistines into the city of Ziph, into the wilderness. Let's try the... Man, he keeps kicking the Philistine's tail every time in battle. He's only got like 400 thieves with him. How's... Unbelievable. He can't even... The Philistines aren't going to work? Okay, I got it. I'm going to tempt David with Nabal. Nabal's an idiot. His wife knows he's an idiot. Everybody knows he's an idiot. He's going to be really rude to David. David's going to get pissed. And he's going to destroy him, bloodshed, he will no longer be able to be king. Oh, Abigail, you got to be kidding me. Really? You're that good of a woman? Come on. Can you imagine how frustrated Satan is getting right now? Everywhere he goes to attack David, he attacks him with armies, he attacks him with giants, he attacks him with idiots like Nabal, he attacks him with scoundrels like Doeg, he attacks him with Philistines, Goliath, Saul, all these things. And everywhere he goes to find a weapon, it does not prosper. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Does that sound familiar to some of you? And here's what we see happening. David is reserved, not because he's so great. Clearly he's not. He's got a problem with anger. But because for some reason, God loves him. God has chosen him and God says, Satan, you cannot win. You can try Goliath. You can try Saul. You can try Doeg. You can try the Philistines. You can even tempt him with Nabal. But I've got a plan to thwart you at every turn. And David recognizes this, does he not? He says, God has been gracious to me. He protected me from my own reproach by sending this awesome woman to convince me that I should not try to kill Nabal and his family on my own. Because vengeance is not mine. He even says, I was tempted to take my salvation into my own hand instead of relying upon heavenly dad. I was going to do it. It was, decision was done. He even, scripture even says, he told all his soldiers, grab your swords, we're going. And all of a sudden, at the right time, Abigail comes with all this stuff and says, hey, don't do it. You see, guys, this is what you have to understand as Christians. Staying in God's plan is relying upon God, not your godliness. Do you understand the difference? Staying in God's plan is not relying upon how good you can be. It's, on, it's relying upon how powerful God is and the fact that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Because if God has called you as a child of God, if God has saved you, if God has chosen you, there is nothing 
Satan can do to rip you out of his hand. Matter of fact, the scripture says, all the Father has given to me will come to me, and no man can pluck them out of my hand. Now, isn't that a comfort? And I started thinking through this in my own life, and I want to share with you this, this slide here. Well, I'm going to read this, and I have one more slide. This affirms the need to plead with God each day to protect me from the reproach that I would otherwise constantly bring upon myself with my own bad decisions. God's grace to his children is not just in the forgiveness of sin. You hear that? God's grace to his children is not just in the forgiveness of sin, but also in steering us around sin with people and circumstances with God, which God sovereignly designs. You see that in David's life? <clears throat> Let me share this with you. So what I would go through, and I'm going to do this series later on too on Psalm 119. When I was going through Psalm 119, it made me realize David, uh, I believe David wrote Psalm 19. Some other people think that Daniel wrote it. But when I was going through, I developed a daily prayer list. And I did, I did Psalm 119 years before I did the Life of David study. And I came up with this daily really quick, these are really quick. And I wouldn't say, enlighten me with understanding. Oh, dear God, please give me understanding. No, I would just say, enlighten me with understanding. And then right after that, renew my mind. Confirm your word to me. Make me go on your path. Make it natural for my heart to understand your word. These are one-sentence prayers I got from Psalm 119. And I had the other ones there. Make me alive in your righteous. Keep me broken and humble and hang tassels on my heart. Those two I added when I was studying the life of David. But that protect me from my own reproach. I added that one this day. Because God made it clear to me as I was going through my journal time, I got a lot of reproach in my life and I need protection. And so what happened is, God zeroed me in that day on the fact that, you know what? My job of being in ministry, my job of being in the hand of God's will is not based upon how good a pastor I can be, how good a sermon I can deliver, how godly I can appear to other people. It has nothing to do with that. God's plan has nothing to do with my hand, but has everything to do with his. And that's why David was protected. It wasn't because he was great, what does it mean to have a man after God's own heart? I believe it's the response that David had to God's sovereignty. What was his response? Brokenness, humility. This day, God delivered me from my own reproach. So as we close this today, I'm hoping you'll begin to see how God used this godly, wise, intelligent, gracious woman to thwart another attack by Satan, this one by tempting David, steering him away from failure, steering him away from sin, <clears throat> keeping him able to be king. <clears throat> but more importantly, what it did is it made sure David understood where his power came from. It wasn't from those 600 men in the cave. Where was it? From heavenly dad who had chosen him just like he has chosen you